be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's not that shocking nowadays to see someone like John the Baptist being in prison simply because of what he said. Now, sure, we might not see this directly in our country today, or at least not yet, but we still are less surprised that something like this would happen. And even more so, it was the case during the time of Jesus in the Gospel reading. So here's John the baptizer. He's in prison because of what he said, because of what he preached. Now, there are countless examples of this in the scriptures, of prophets, apostles, and even Jesus preaching a word and then things going south pretty quickly. Be they death threats, accusations of blasphemy, attempts to kill, imprisonment, a riot starting, or actually killing them. These men suffered all because of what they said, or rather what God had given them to say. So now here in Matthew 11, we see John experiencing this firsthand. And it's no different as a pastor today, at least on some levels. It's always an interesting thing to walk down a hospital hallway or walk into a public place wearing a clerical collar. You get many people who will be friendly to you, maybe give you a discount at the hospital cafeteria, but then there's an increasing number of those who the minute they see you, they put their heads down, they make a beeline down the next hallway, and they refuse to make eye contact with you. And there are others who will just give you dirty looks. And I have some classmates of mine that tell of walking down the street and being spit at and hearing many and various words yelled at them, all of which have four letters. And there are other things that happens this way too. This past week at our Winkle, our uh, monthly circuit meeting, Pastor Woldemath brought up how someone told them him they didn't like coming to his church. It's not his church, it's Jesus' church. Because they got angry when he preached from the pulpit against abortion, against things like living together before marriage, against homosexuality, and all of these things. The person just flat out told him, the church needs to get with the times. This person was not a young person, but someone in their 70s. Now, sadly, I've had similar situations with that, either in person, over the phone, or indirectly. We've had people even leave the congregation for reasons like this. And there are countless other examples from all over that we could spend hours recalling. And all of this is nothing new. But thanks be to God for faithful men who would suffer, however great that may be, before being offended by God. It's because they know the Lord and his word, and they know his truth, and they know that salvation is found only in Christ. And so love is seen in all of this. So what's the point in all of this, especially on this Sunday named Gaudita, which means rejoice, right? It seems like quite the downer. Well, let's go back to the beginning of the gospel reading today. And the question brought to Jesus and what the Lord said in answer to it. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Leopards are lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. 
So when we look at John the Baptist, we see what was his purpose and his office. And his whole purpose and office in this world was to point people to Jesus. That's what the Lord called him to do. That is what was prophesied of him. And he was to make ready the way for the Son of God. It was never about him. And his whole work is summarized in that great event when he saw Jesus and preached on the banks of the Jordan River, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's a reason why we sing that same thing before the, we receive communion. We're pointing, there's where our Lord is now here at this altar. That was his job. Getting people ready for this event was calling them to repentance, lest they, they come under God's wrath and condemnation. So their lives were leveled, they were exposed in their sin, and cleared the way for the Lord to come with redemption. Now in prison, John is still doing what he was called to do. Even up to the final times of his life, he was pointing people to Jesus. In this reading, John's disciples go to Jesus and ask what their teacher, John, had told them to ask. It was in a sense, Jesus, are you the real deal? Are you the Messiah or are you just preparing the way as well? And the answer Jesus gives is similar to the manner in which John preached. Jesus pointed them to the word of God, spoken long ago by the prophets. So all of these promises and prophecies they had heard and were waiting for were fulfilled in the one standing before them. Jesus is the Lord. And he says, blessed is the one who is not offended. Or literally the word here is scandalized by what he does and what he says. Blessed is the one who hears his word and keeps it. So Matthew goes on to record, he says, As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. So Jesus then, after these guys leave and go back to John to report back what the Lord had told them, he addresses the crowds. And the crowds in Matthew's gospel are a mix of believers and unbelievers. He uses specific terms for specific people. And so Jesus looks them over and he asks them in effect, listen guys, what are you doing here? And what and why did you go to hear the preaching of John? If it was to be entertained, if it was to see just this sight, if it was just simply out of cure, sheer, sheer curiosity, then maybe you better rethink things. Maybe you better take a long, hard look at your life because you're totally missing the point. John wasn't just some spectacle. He was the messenger. And it wasn't about him. It was his word that you should pay attention to and obey. He was pointing you to Jesus. And so as you sit here this morning and you think about John the Baptist, you think about what all this means for you, Jesus looks at you and he asks you a serious question. Why are you here? What did you come to hear and see? Are you offended by the Lord? Are you offended by his works and his word? So Advent, as a penitential season, a time of repentance, is a time where these questions are placed before you. 
And God calls you to examine your life as you anticipate the Lord who has come, is here even now, and is coming again. So when you hear those questions, if you answer things with something like, well, this is just what my, we do, or well, this is just my church, or I really don't know why I'm here. Or you have to caveat it with, well, you know, I just don't agree with everything, but take seriously the warnings of John, the warnings of Jesus. Listen to them and what they say and ask yourself the question Jesus refers them to. Am I offended by God's word? Or looking at it in another way, thinking about it in our lives, am I afraid to confess this of who Jesus is in my life? By my words? By my actions among my family, my friends? Or is just this my Sunday thing? Just something that's personal? Would I be willing to die for what God teaches me in his word? Or would I rather look for someone or something else? And so God was there preaching those words, and God is here and he is at work today. So as one who is a pastor, this Sunday is such a humbling thing, but it's also very comforting. In the epistle reading, God says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful or trustworthy, either one of those translations. So that's terrifying for me as a pastor to hear this word. Because I know it isn't about me, or at least it shouldn't be. I have been called by God to be a servant of Christ, to be a steward of the mysteries of God. And it's not optional, but it is required. It is required by God that I be found faithful in these things. There's no room for me in that, but I am under orders, ordained by God to preach his word in season and out of season. Before a pastor puts on his vestments before the service, he kisses the the cross and puts that over his, his, his uh, neck, reminding him this is the burden, the cross that he bears. It's both a thing of comfort and a, a thing of warning. So your duty then as the hearers of God's word is to hold me accountable. Always listen to me as your pastor and study God's word. What I say and do isn't to be my mere thoughts or opinions, but it is to be God's word. And I'm called to be faithful, even if it's hard or it makes me uncomfortable to do so. There are many conversations as a pastor I wish I really wouldn't have to do. But that's why it's so important as hearers of the word of God to be diligent students of the Holy Scriptures. That's why studying the Lutheran confessions is important too, for, as they are the correct confession of what the Bible teaches. Jesus pointed the disciples of John back to his word, back to God's word. Look at this. This is what God says. And God holds me to those. And I absolutely must be faithful. So the comforting thing in all of this is that the Lord speaks. And it's that his words, they're not just have a shelf life and an expiration date, but they endure forever. And so God is near in your life as his word is read and proclaimed, and it brings you Christ. It brings you his benefits. So it's hard, whether you're a preacher, whether you're a hearer, because both of us live in this world, a world that is no friend of Christ, no friend of his church. But you see, God knows this. And he is the one who has overcome the world. He's the one who came among his own and was rejected by them. Jesus and his word were offensive, and they still are. The cross itself is a scandal to unbelievers. 
The gospel of God saving you by his grace alone on account of Christ alone offends people. So much that even to this day, people are killed for preaching and confessing this. In 1 Peter 2, God says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So dear Christians, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Jesus became the rock of offense so that you would have the place of honor. So looking at this Sunday in the church here, it's not surprising what happened to John as he eventually was killed. It's not surprising how people treat pastors. It's not surprising when now Christian men, Christian women, Christian children are killed for faithfully confessing the faith. Those things should not surprise us. That is what happens when God's word is faithfully preached. The cross is soon to follow, and God's people will suffer. But we are not surprised, nor do we lose hope, because we see our Lord is the one who bore the cross for our salvation. And we see the Lord is the victor, for by dying he has destroyed death. So there really is great reason to rejoice this day. Because Jesus has made peace between you and the Father. So while the world may be hostile to you, may, may even want to destroy you and kill you at times, that's not the case with God. You've been reconciled to God by the blood of Christ. Your sin is forgiven and you stand as one who calls God Father. And one who knows that you will live forever. Baptized into Christ, you know that man can only destroy the body, but the Lord will raise your body from the grave. John the Baptist lost his head, but the Lord will give him a new one in the resurrection. The trials and sufferings of this life are hard. They test us. And our fallen flesh wants to doubt. It wants to give in, but the Lord strengthens you along the way. He feeds you with his own body and blood, which was crucified and has risen for you, and you cling to him for help. You cry out, Lord, have mercy. You go back to his word and the promises he speaks to you all throughout your life and know that he won't forsake you, even when it appears everyone else has. God is the Lord, and he will keep you in his arms, and no one can snatch you away from the Father. So no matter what you face in this life, the Lord goes with you, and you fix your eyes on him. You're never put to shame by Jesus because he endured the shame of the cross in your place. So have comfort this day, the dear saints of God. Have comfort, for your Lord has redeemed you, and you have eternal life. All of those things spoken of by the prophets, as Jesus pointed the disciples of John back to those things, the Lord has fulfilled his word. He's the victor by his life, death, and resurrection. And he has sent into your lives the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to deliver to you what he has done for you and gives you that comfort through his holy word and sacraments. You have been called by name and baptism, and you are a child of God. So rejoice in all of this, and that's real joy, not just some um, upbeat or feeling good, 
but a joy of Christ that rejoices, even as the martyrs could rejoice as they were being tortured to death and killed for the sake of the faith. Even as you rejoice as you take your last breath on this earth. It's the joy that is a repentant joy, as we'll say in a few minutes before the communion, before we receive communion. That knows that your, knows your sin and knows and clings to Jesus, who is your advocate with the Father, who intercedes for you at his right hand. Rejoice this day in Christ, who has come, who is here now, and will come again. Rejoice in this salvation for you now and forever. Amen.